A look back at Mayor Todd Gloria's first year in office. The duties upon which I'm about to enter. Congratulations, Mayor Gloria. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen has a conversation with Mayor Todd Gloria about what's ahead for San Diego. I think that we've been able to uh, be leaders in this space of recovery, and I'm anxious to put the pandemic behind us. And a look at the art scene in your weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. Today marks one year since San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria took office to become its 37th mayor. Here he is after being sworn in last December. Today is a day that marks a new chapter in San Diego's history. Today is the day that we start building a San Diego that truly is for all of us. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen caught up with the mayor to take a look back at the year he's had, along with the current issues he's working on as he starts his second year in office. Mayor Gloria, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been about a week now since your COVID vaccine requirement for city employees took effect. And this is something that the police officers union had tried to fight. How are those last minute holdouts who are still unvaccinated responding to this policy so far? Well, we're seeing some progress in just the five days after the council uh, adopted the vaccine mandate, uh, over 400 reported becoming vaccinated. We've gotten additional numbers in the last few days, and I'm encouraged by that. I'm hopeful that the remainders uh, of folks will choose to get vaccinated for themselves, for their coworkers, and for their city. My goal is not to terminate employees. It may come to that. My preference is that folks get vaccinated uh, so that they are not at risk of both acquiring COVID-19 and to spreading it to their coworkers and to the public that we're entrusted to serve. The pandemic has made this quite a first year in office for you. When you look at what you set out to accomplish in that first year and you compare it to what you actually were able to accomplish, how would you rate yourself? (laughs) Well, I'll leave ratings to uh, folks like yourself and to the general public who are my boss. But, you know, these are very difficult times. You know, I ran to bring transformational change on homelessness, housing, infrastructure, climate. We've been able to make progress on all those fronts. But of course, the main focus has been on defeating the pandemic and restarting our economy. And from the unanimous bipartisan passage of my back to work SD budget and invested millions of dollars in economic recovery to our relatively high vaccination rates, I think that we've been able to uh, be leaders in this space of recovery. And I'm anxious to put the pandemic behind us and focus all of our time, attention and resources on the crisis that is our homelessness situation our housing affordability crisis, uh, as well as the need to invest in infrastructure. I feel like when we hit our our marks when it comes to housing and to infrastructure, we will, of course, be making progress on climate action, which is uh, an urgent need. 
Last month, the state of California put out a call for ideas on how to redevelop two blocks of property downtown. Now, you've had your eye on this piece of land for uh, several years. You authored a bill on it uh, when you were in the state assembly. But because this land is actually owned by the state government, you as mayor don't get to have final say over what happens there. What would you like to see happen on this property? Well, I don't have final say, but thanks to an exceptional relationship with Governor Newsom, we will have some say in this process. And these are two full city blocks in downtown San Diego that are only occupied by a small office building on one half of one block. Uh, This is in the context of a housing crisis where we have people who are not just living on our streets, but are struggling uh, to make ends meet month to month and don't know if they too may end up homeless. I believe these public assets need to be used to their highest and best use. Um, I believe that that will naturally include a substantial amount of housing, housing that should be affordable, not just to extremely low and low income San Diegans, but also to middle income San Diegans, uh, who I think we need to do a lot more uh, for when it comes to housing production. And again, because of that uh, strong relationship with our governor, uh, I believe that the city of San Diego will have input in this process to make sure uh, that this meets our expectations as a city when we're coming to infrastructure, housing, and climate action. I'm hopeful that we can get swift action uh, on these parcels. The crisis, as I mentioned, is here. It is now. It is present. And government has to lead by example. As we ask communities and private property owners to do their part to help solve our housing affordability crisis, naturally, government must do the same. And I believe this is an area where we can uh, lead by example, actually be class leading when it comes uh, to the provision of additional housing that is attainable to most San Diegans. There's been a legal setback recently to some of your plans for the Midway District. A judge last week issued a tentative ruling that could block the city from implementing Measure E. And this, of course, is the ballot measure that voters approved last year that would lift the 30-foot height limit in Midway. If that ruling is finalized, what happens next? We'll fight, and we'll fight like hell. This is important. The revitalization of the Midway District is critical to the future of our city, not just for a new sports venue, but again, for the provision of housing that is attainable to low and middle income San Diegans. And as you mentioned, the the ruling is tentative. We will know soon uh, a final ruling. If it does not go our way, we will appeal it uh, and we'll fight it. And I believe that we'll be successful. The future of the Midway District is in uh, at that site. Uh, we want it to be catalytic. We want it to um, help create not just relief for our housing crisis, but to bring revitalization to an entire community. And I have to point out um, that the ballot measure was passed by a strong vote of San Diego uh, voters uh, last year. Um, I think that is worth something. I believe that we are in a strong position on the legal merits of our case, and we will uh, fight that as much as we need to fight it in order to get the change that the people of the city voted for, that the residents of that community want, uh, and frankly, what will help us to address our urgent homelessness and housing affordability crisis. As you noted, the timing of this ruling was particularly ironic because the city was just about to receive proposals for redeveloping the sports arena. And those proposals, pretty much all of them, include affordable housing, market rate housing, a new sports arena, retail and office space. And it's likely none of those ideas would work without the ability to build taller than 30 feet on that land. So how concerned are you that this ruling could be a real setback to your desire to redevelop the sports arena property? It would be a setback if it was the final word, but we do have the appellate process if it is necessary to pursue. And 
I think that the fact that we've gotten such robust interest um, from a multitude of high quality partnerships that really could help us drive the kind of change that San Diegans want to see on that site uh, gives me optimism. Yeah, the the tentative ruling uh, is not uh, good news for us, but I think the responses we received um, is good news. Uh, I choose to focus our attention there and know that uh, in concert with our city attorney and with the city council uh, that we will push this issue as far as it needs to be pushed in order to get the change that we need on that site. The future of the Midway District is not a handful of retail uses and large uh, expanses of surface parking. The future is a a fair amount of housing, a sports venue uh, that can attract high quality talent and the kinds of quality of life uh, things that make us a destination, not just for residents, but for tourists. Um, An iconic development that people can be proud of. This cannot become a San Diego special of something we just continue to discuss uh, ad nauseum. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we get a resolution to this litigation. And then ultimately, we get some shovels in the ground, shovels that will produce the housing that average San Diegans can afford to live in. It's a big day at the Sandag Board of Directors. You're going to be voting on the 2021 Regional Transportation Plan. You've been a supporter of this vision for a long time. Why? Because I am a native San Diegan, I know where our city has been, and uh, it also informs where I think it needs to go. And that is not a status quo approach to mobility, but one that really recognizes the dynamic nature of the way people get around these days. Just a few years ago, we didn't have a host of options that San Diegans use all the time now, whether that's mobility apps and uh, Uber, Lyft, scooters, and other things. We have to have a regional transportation plan that takes into account the innovation that's happening in this space, that accommodates our needs to have uh, aggressive climate action, and it helps us to facilitate the housing and infrastructure that we need to maintain our quality of life. I believe this plan can do that. It is bold, it is audacious, and some see that as something to uh, criticize. I actually think that's a good thing. You know, this plan ought to be bold. San Diego is moving forward. We're a big city, and we need to have a a regional transportation plan that reflects the size and greatness of this community. I believe uh, this plan, uh, when adopted and implemented, uh, will make sure that we can continue to retain uh, high-quality jobs and employers in our community, uh, help us meet our obligations uh, when it comes to climate action, and will maintain our quality of life. Um, So I have long been a strong supporter. Uh, My hope is that we can adopt this, implement it, and show San Diegans what can happen when you're actually finally given choices when it comes from getting from A to B. I think we all know that for most part, we really just have one way to get around, and that's a private vehicle. And the good news is under this plan, you'll continue to have that option. But in addition, you'll have a host of other good options, like walking in your community on something other than a busted sidewalk, that you could take high-quality public transit to get where you need to go in a reasonable amount of time. And you can ride a bicycle without taking your life in your hands. I think uh, San Diegans are owed these kinds of options, and I believe this plan can deliver it to them. You surprised a lot of people last week when you announced you were opposed to a part of the transportation plan's funding strategy. It's specifically a two-cent charge for every mile that a person drives in San Diego County. We've known about this charge as part of the plan for months, if not years, and I can't recall you ever expressing any doubt or skepticism about it. Why did you wait until the week before the plan was up for a vote to suddenly oppose this charge? I certainly have had concerns about how this is implemented. I think that there are really basic questions about how uh, a fee of this kind would be assessed, how it would be done fairly and equitably, and whether or not we could answer those questions on, a, on a, the time frame of this existing plan. I believe that 
the recent passage of the bipartisan infrastructure bill at the federal level will provide us some relief when it comes to funding the projects that are envisioned in the plan. And I believe that staff uh, have it, uh, the ability uh, to present the board with other options on a go-forward basis. Uh, make no mistake, you know, I support the regional transportation plan. I believe it's necessary for us to adopt it on Friday in order to make sure that we continue to be able to be competitive for state and federal funding. Uh, so that's that's important. Uh, but I think with, with a funding source uh, like a, a road user charge, where we have a lot of questions about how it would actually be assessed, whether or not it could be assessed on the timeframe of the plan, and importantly, the context we find ourselves in where we are struggling to escape a pandemic uh, and the resulting economic challenges that have come from it, I think we would do ourselves a service to uh, take into account other new funding sources that have come uh, into focus in recent weeks uh, and rely upon those while we ask our federal and state partners to continue their work on trying to figure out how they actually would implement this. I believe we have some other options here locally that will help us to make this plan a reality for San Diegans. Transportation is really the crux of whether San Diego succeeds or fails at the climate action plan goals that you yourself have had such a key role in crafting. Of course, transportation is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions here. Do you think that we can meet those goals that you're setting? And by the way, there are 50% of all trips in the city being via something other than a car. Can we meet those goals with all carrots and no sticks? In other words, incentives to bike, walk, or take public transit, but no disincentives to driving. I think it's going to take a lot to make these uh, ambitious goals, and I've never been unclear on that. In terms of the methods that we will use to get there, I mean, this plan continues to have um, a lot of options inside of it. But I would caution anyone from believing that the regional transportation plan by itself is how we will achieve our climate action plan goals. This is going to require the city uh, to, through its planning and development services department, to provide more housing uh, close to transit. Uh, It's going to require our streets department to take a more proactive approach in the installation of bike lanes like what you've seen on Pershing, on 30th Street, North Park, and portions of downtown. It's going to take an all-hands-on-deck approach. It's not just the responsibility of SANDAG. It's going to be the responsibility of the Air Pollution Control District, of MTS, of the City of San Diego, of the County of San Diego. What I like about our, our potential of actually reaching these goals is the fact that uh, in many of these agencies, we have an alignment in terms of our philosophies, our belief uh, that climate change is real and that we must take action on it. Um, And so while the goals are certainly ambitious, I think the leadership is up to the task. And we have made, I think, modest steps in this direction in in just the last year. I think we can take more aggressive steps in the year ahead and a new regional transportation plan certainly will help, uh, but it is not the entirety of how we will meet our obligations under the climate action plan. What are you most looking forward to in 2022? I'm hopeful that we can get into a place uh, where our vaccination rates are so high uh, that COVID is seen as a manageable illness and that we can devote all of our time and attention to the things that I'm passionate about. I am, like most San Diegans, unhappy with the current state of affairs when it comes to homelessness. We need to transition more people off of our streets and into housing. I think in the coming days and weeks, uh, you'll see an expansion of shelter opportunities, the allocation of more dollars for more affordable housing uh, for these folks. Uh, I'm really anxious to make tremendous progress on that issue. And then to transition to my Homes for All of Us proposal, uh, which is a series of, of reforms that we believe will create more housing for everybody, but particularly for those in San Diego who earn too much to qualify for the programs that we offer through our housing commission, but don't earn enough to afford the market rate housing that seems to be plentiful in San Diego. That's where our focus is. And I believe that we'll be having some key votes uh, on that policy package early in 2020. 
2022. Um, the sooner we can implement those, the quicker we can actually start bringing housing on, online that people can afford. That is what motivates me to do this job every day. Uh, I'm proud to be the mayor of my hometown. I'm delighted to pick up everyone's garbage once a week, um, but I'm really here to try and drive change when it comes to the issue of housing and homelessness. And I believe that uh, with uh, a pandemic more under control, uh, we'll have more time, attention, and uh, resources to do that. Lastly, on the surprise news this week, any thoughts on Sean Elor Rivera taking over as city council president? First off, I want to thank former council president Dr. Jennifer Campbell for her leadership of the council over the last year. As you noted, this has been an extraordinary year to be in a position of leadership, and Dr. Campbell uh, is uh, been a wonderful partner in leading the city. With regard to council president uh, Elo Rivera, I will just say very directly, I have come to really enjoy working with him over the last year. We have grown close together. We've been able to work on a multitude of issues uh, of importance to San Diego, whether it be homelessness, uh, accessory dwelling units, housing affordability. Our priorities align extremely well. uh, And I think that that bodes well for 2022 uh, and a year where I want to see important change on housing and homelessness, on infrastructure, uh, on climate. I believe Sean's going to be a great partner in that regard. He's already been a great partner. Uh, Lee and the council uh, can only make that better. Um, and so uh, I, I think this is a, a good thing. Um, I, I admire Sean uh, personally. He has achieved a lot uh, in a very short amount of time. Uh, and I think that uh, as mayor of San Diego, having a council that's running uh, aggressively on a, a progressive platform of policy ideas that align with mine, I like that a lot. And I think uh, San Diegans should stay tuned to see a lot of positive progress in our city. I've been speaking with San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria. Mr. Mayor, thank you and happy holidays. Same to you, Andrew. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry, the Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. In our weekend arts preview, you can get your holiday events fixed with some festive music and dance, but we also have a few options that have nothing to do with the season. From a gifted double bass musician to a radio style play to some free opera, joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor and producer, Julia Dixon-Evans. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Katherine Schumeister and her concert of double bass music. Tell us about this performance. Sure. Katherine Schumeister is a San Diego double bass player 
and she'll be performing tonight at the Museum of Making Music in Carlsbad. You can buy tickets for the in-person performance or just watch the free live stream from home. So it's really great that they're keeping that option. It'll be all music that showcases the broad range of the bass. There's experimental, contemporary, and even traditional music. And she'll also bring in soprano Jasper Sussman, pianist Nick Sanders, and drummer Julian Cantom to play with her. I recently watched and was completely transfixed by this video of Schulmeister performing a series of short compositions that were written for her by Joanne Arnaud Pamies, who is a composer, and it is baffling that any of the technical wizardry that you're hearing could somehow be transcribed on a sheet of music. And Schulmeister also revealed in a recent discussion with the Museum of Making Music that she'll perform a piece with Sussman that's called In Old Virginie, and that's by contemporary composer Sean Yeager, which was inspired by Southern Appalachian folk music. And there'll also be some more traditional selections, like some arrangements of Debussy for bass and piano. That's Catherine Schellmeister performing tonight at 7 p.m. at the Museum of Making Music, which will also be live-streamed. In the visual arts now, painter Nani Cruzado is opening a solo exhibition at Thumbprint Gallery in La Jolla. What can we expect? So this exhibition is called Sapin Layers of Corrections, and Nani Cruzado's work in the show is really informed by, by layers. He was born and raised in a rural town in the Philippines, and in Tagalog, the word sapin means an underlayer or, or beneath. And I love Cruzado's work. His paintings are full of texture and detail and layers of curiosity. And the exhibition will be on view through January 2nd, but there is an opening reception this Saturday from 5 to 10 p.m. Noni Cruzado opens Saturday at Thumbprint Gallery. Also, Spreckle's Organ Pavilion will hold some special festive concerts this weekend, huh? Yeah, so the first is a collaboration with the San Diego Opera and the San Diego Ballet, as well as with San Diego Civic Organist Raul Prieto Ramirez. It's an evening performance at 5.30, and it'll be outdoors at the Organ Pavilion in Balboa Park. The dancers and the opera singers are going to perform some holiday favorites like Handel's Messiah, some selections from the Nutcracker Suite, and also Bach's Christmas Oratorio. Plus, they'll do some traditional carols, too. And especially since December Nights was relegated to a drive through again, this feels like, like an even artsier way to bundle up and go to Baboa Park for the holidays. That's Saturday at 5.30 at the Spreckles Organ Pavilion, and there's even another program the Organ Society is putting together on Sunday. Tell us about that. Right, that's Sunday at 2 o'clock, and it will be more of a sing-along. Local performer Lauren Lee Martin will be joining Raul Prieto Ramirez on the organ, and together they'll do some holiday tunes. In both of these shows, everything performed at the Organ Pavilion, in fact, they're free to the public. Moving on to the theater, Moonlight Stage Productions is producing a special adaptation of Miracle on 34th Street. What do you know about this? 
This will be performed at the Avo Playhouse in Vista, and it's an adaptation that was inspired by the old radio show format, but performed with a full set on stage. And in fact, it was inspired by one specific radio show, the 1947 Lux Radio Theater production of Miracle on 34th Street. So this was adapted by playwright Lance Arthur Smith, who lives in Oceanside, and adapted into this fully staged musical with music by John Lawrence. And it debuted in 2016 and has since been performed across the country. It's the the famous story of hope and believing, and it has familiar carols and even some new songs, too. Daily Bulletin may see Santa Claus to have a lunacy hearing! Extra, extra, we all about it! The headlines just get crazier each time that we shout it! All right, Miracle on 34th Street, a musical radio play, runs through December 23rd, and this weekend's performances are tonight at 7, Saturday at 4 and 8 p.m., and then Sunday at 2 p.m. Finally, the Mingay is celebrating the traditional parole festival from the Philippines this weekend with a family workshop, an exhibition, and an evening of performances. Tell us about this. So the parole is a lantern, and it's traditionally made out of special paper and bamboo and then lit by a candle or some other light source. And these lanterns signify the Star of Bethlehem. And in the Philippines, they've also come to mean unity and pride among families and neighborhoods. They're carried during the religious procession and then hung outside the home as decoration. And you can learn how to make your own parole out of out of more simple materials in the Mingay's free family workshop on Sunday. That's every hour from noon to 4 p.m. And then on Monday, the 25th annual Parole Festival will take place at the Mingay from 3 to 9. And they're displaying an exhibition of paroles, including a display that's just outside the main entrance. And then there'll even be a huge eight-foot-tall parole. And this is organized by Pasacat, which is a San Diego Philippine performing arts group. They'll also hold performances of dance and traditional choral music in the Mingay's Theater that's beginning at 6.30 p.m. Those performances do require a ticket, but the whole exhibition the rest of the afternoon is free. The Parole Festival takes place Monday from 3 to 9 p.m. at the Mingay. You can find details on these and more events or sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thank you. Thanks so much, Jade. Have a good weekend. You too. 